The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Well, we begin this season of Advent remembering Christ's first coming, anticipating our celebration of a birth that changed everything. And this morning we think of the certainty of our hope. As we read Matthew's story of a new beginning. So our text this morning is Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. How about some lights so that people can see? Ah, that's better. So I can see you. Matthew's story of a new beginning. A time when God was with us in a very unique way. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would enable us, as so accustomed we are to the season, Lord, enable us to stop and be in awe. To be in awe of what you've done in sending your son. To be in awe of his humility as he left his heavenly glory in order to be born a human baby. Lord, cause us to stop and appreciate the eternal significance of this moment and to not be overwhelmed with pedestrian things, but instead to have our our hope stirred and strengthened at the thought of Christ's coming. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 1, follow along 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. Well, did your parents ever tell you what it was like when you were born? Or about the circumstances of your adoption and your coming home story? We all have stories. For me, as the youngest of three boys, I know that before I was born, my family moved up from from California. And 
because of this? Well, my family's just a bunch of California transplants, while I am the only true Oregonian in my family. I also know that I was a big baby. Not a, not a big baby, but a, a large baby, over 10 pounds when I was born. Yeah. And, and there's another story I've been told over the years that my family each year, I don't know if it started when I was born, but each year of my life up until about 20, we would go to Diamond Lake. We would rent a cabin. We'd go fishing. And I'm, I'm told the story when I was a baby. They rented a cabin. Apparently, Diamond Lake provided a, a, a crib, uh, a crib with a trap door in the bottom. And, um, and I say that because when I fell asleep, I fell through the bottom of the crib and then it popped back up into place. And then eventually, my family noticed, where's Brian? He's not in the crib. And they're searching all over the place looking for me. But I was about my father's business sleeping <laughs> under the crib. So they eventually saw me sleeping. So we have our stories to tell. And Matthew tells of the circumstances surrounding Jesus's birth. In verse 18, we read, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. In reality, this story begins not with the birth, but with the miraculous conception of Jesus, with the eternal Son of God becoming a human being in the virgin womb of Mary. And it's important for us to have these these details because if the origin of Jesus was normal, that is, if we suspected he had a biological father, as well as a mother, if it was not a conception brought about by the Holy Spirit, well, then this first Advent theme of hope would be shattered. One thing to note is that the Greek word translated here as birth is not the ordinary word used for birth, but instead for origin. And so a more literal translation would be the origin of Jesus Christ was like this. What we refer to as the virgin birth is more accurately the virgin conception. Because the emphasis is not on the birth of Jesus, but in how this unique person who is truly God and truly man, how he originated. And so the rest of the verse describes Jesus' origin as not coming through Joseph, but through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if some of you cringe at the words, the origin of Jesus, because you rightly know that the Son of God had no beginning. And yet, the point being made is that the eternal Son of God, at a certain point in time, did have a human beginning in the womb of Mary. Incredible. This is what Matthew is describing And what we see is the only possible way for a person to be truly God, yet truly man. The other day uh, in our men's group, we were were actually talking about the distinction of names in reference to 
Jesus, that yes, Jesus in his divine nature as the Son of God existed before his human birth, but the person that we call Jesus is not only divine, but he's also human. And so when we, technically speaking, when we use the name Jesus, it should be in reference to the man. Because at a certain point in time, God the Son took on human flesh and became Jesus, who is truly God and truly man. This person had an origin story. This unique person, the God-man, at a certain point in time was conceived from the Holy Spirit in the virgin womb of Mary. He was actually born and given the name Jesus. And from that point on, and because he is resurrected, forever having a human body, he is forever the God-man, Jesus Christ. All this to say there's something unique happening here. There's something different about this point in time when God, who has always been with us, is now with us in the person of Jesus. And it's an amazing thought as we consider how John described it in his gospel. He said, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word is our Creator. And then in verse 14 of John, he says He became flesh. The Word became flesh. God the Son, the Word, became a baby in the womb of Mary who was then named Jesus. And Jesus is Emmanuel. He truly is God with us in an absolutely new way, unlike any other presence of God at any other time in human history. And this is a great and wonderful mystery that God the Son, the Word, who is eternal in His nature, who is the creator of of all things, that he also has a human beginning. One person with two natures, the person of Jesus, truly God and truly man. Let's read on. The rest of verse 18 says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph did not contribute to the origin of Jesus, but Mary did. Notice that it describes Mary as his mother, while Joseph is described only in relation to Mary. Mary is truly the mother of Jesus. And so Jesus, think of it, Jesus probably had some physical characteristics that looked like Mary. You know, when you see a, a new baby, and we've had some recently here, we tend to say, oh, look at that. He's got his mother's eyes. Or, you know, he looks like both of you. Well, with Jesus, 
let's just say he looked like his mom. Mary was his biological mother. And this very point leads to an obvious problem. Who's the father? Both Mary and Joseph, well, they were godly people. They, they're betrothed. They're not yet living together. They haven't known each other sexually. And yet Mary's pregnant. We compare in our day betrothal to to an engagement. And obviously, a betrothal is more than an engagement. Today, if you discovered the woman you were engaged to, planning to marry, if you discovered that she was pregnant and the two of you had done the right and godly thing, not having sex before marriage, well, the only conclusion you'd come to is that she must not be a faithful woman. And if you decided she's not the woman you thought she was, that she wouldn't be a a godly wife, then you'd simply call off the wedding and you would no longer be engaged. There's no need for a divorce because you were never married. But in Mary and Joseph's day, while a betrothal was, was like an engagement in that morally you're not yet one, It's evidently much more because breaking it required a divorce. Verse 19 describes this, saying, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So a betrothal was much weightier than an engagement, even to the point of Joseph being referred to here as her husband. The absolutely critical point of emphasis is on the fact that Joseph and Mary never had sex prior to Jesus' conception. In fact, it's even doubly emphasized in verse 25 that there is absolutely no possible way that Joseph is the biological father of Jesus because even after they were married, even when it would be appropriate for them. Verse 25 says, Joseph knew her not until, sorry Catholic friends, until she had given birth. Until, meaning that after the birth of Jesus, then it would be appropriate. And so after Jesus' birth, they did have a normal marital relationship. Having other children, meaning that Mary was not a perpetual virgin. But the main emphasis here has to do with the origin of Jesus, a baby that was conceived like no other. No other in the womb of a virgin by the Holy Spirit. And I hope you see that this is, well, this is essential to your Christian faith. This is essential to your hope of salvation. Because the only way Jesus can save you is if he is without sin. And yes, he did not commit a sin, but he also must be born without a sin nature. A nature that is passed on through the man, through a human father. 
So if Jesus came from a human father, then he would possess a sin nature, being identified with Adam's sin, and therefore guilty, deserving of God's wrath, and, well, incapable of saving you, saving anyone. I hate to say it, and, and please don't get offended, but... As precious and cute and seemingly innocent as your babies are, they are born into sin. And in that sense, well, they're little sinners. (laughs) David, in Psalm 51, makes this very point, saying, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And David isn't saying that it was a sinful union that brought him about. No, he's, he's saying that he, like everyone else, in his human origin is given a sin nature. That Adam's sin is passed on to us through an ordinary human conception. Our original human father, Adam, he fell. He fell. He sinned. And this sin and his and death becomes a kind of inheritance to all who are born of man. So if Jesus was born like any other, then he would not be sinless. He would not be a perfect substitute on the cross for us. He would not possess a perfect righteousness to impute to us through faith. And We could not be reconciled to God because we would still be stained with Adam's sin. Again, this is critical to our faith. And years ago, I remember some terrible pastor or Bible teacher, can't remember exactly who it was, make the ridiculous statement that if we, you know, if we lost the virgin birth, it wouldn't make any difference to our faith. And I suppose that reveals what his faith really was. That if if you only view the Christian faith as following the good example of Jesus, then, then yeah, why would that make any difference? But the problem is, we're not saved by following Jesus' example. We're saved by his sinless origin or nature and his sinless life as as the perfect, truly spotless Lamb of God, His death on the cross actually accomplished our salvation. But if Jesus is born with a sin nature, then then we're dead in our sins. Because no amount of following will make any difference. Thankfully, we have hope. We have hope. Because we follow someone absolutely unique, truly man because of his human birth, but also truly without sin because he was conceived from the Holy Spirit. Hope is a a wonderful thing. But if the object of your hope is incapable of saving you, that is, if Jesus' origin was simply from a human father and mother, then your hope would be worthless because this person, may, he may have good intentions to save you, 
but his efforts would be hopeless. Another interesting detail in this origin story is that it's from the perspective of Joseph. It's critical that Joseph is not the biological father, but it's also critical that he's, he's the adoptive father of Jesus because Joseph is in the line of King David. Through Joseph, Jesus is counted as the son of David, fulfilling an ancient promise that Israel would have a David-like king, a David-like king to rule the people with justice. We read in Jeremiah, I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And when when you read your Old Testament, it gets kind of depressing, doesn't it? When you read about Israel's kings awaiting a Davidic deliverer while enduring one evil king after another. But Advent is about waiting anticipating with hope the coming of one who is who is not of David's flesh but who is of David's line Israel needed someone like David a mighty fearless deliverer a great king a warrior to to fight for them a man who loves God and his people more than anything else Israel needed this But its history was, well, it was one sad failure after another. They needed someone someone like David. But even David failed. So they needed a greater son. A different kind of son. Not of human flesh alone. No ordinary king or prophet would be enough to save them. And from this we should know that our hope is not in politicians. Our hope is not in a doctor or teacher or preacher. It's not even in your mom or dad. No, we need a new kind of deliverer. And Matthew describes how God has been orchestrating this all along. But look at this this difficult situation that God put Mary and Joseph in. Two godly people, two godly people going about everything in a righteous manner. Even when Joseph was considering divorce, we see that he was, he was a good man. He was merciful. He was a just man. He was, he was obedient to the Lord. He only wanted to have a godly marriage. And the scandal of Mary's pregnancy caused him to question whether that would be ever possible. But look at Joseph's response. What a godly man, showing compassion and mercy, being resolved to divorce her quietly. Didn't want to make a big scene, didn't want to put her to shame. I'm sure he loved her. He loved her. He didn't want her to come to any harm. And when we see these admirable traits in Joseph, we we can probably imagine that Joseph... Well, he was probably a good dad. 
Isn't it interesting how God orchestrates hard situations in our lives? Even, even, even pausing. Giving us, giving us some time to struggle a bit. Why does he do this? Struggling to come up with our own plans. And then he reveals a better way. Joseph, he had time to think. Verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, as he considered these things, then behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. How long did Joseph consider these things? How long did he struggle with this plan of God that he didn't, he wasn't aware of at the time. Even when our plans, even when his plan seems kind and compassionate, even when it seems godly and wise, still, if God reveals his way to us, we need to be ready to change. We need to be ready to follow him. God has his purposes in these intentional pauses of life, allowing us to struggle in our circumstance. And it, it typically has to do with our being faithful to him. And this doesn't mean that we should, well, okay, don't expect an angel to appear to you in a dream and tell you what you should do. It doesn't tend to happen nowadays. We have God's complete word for us. So, but he may use a brother He may use a sister in Christ to to point you to his will. And hopefully they're, if it is from God, they're pointing you to the word of God and giving you godly wisdom. We need to be like Joseph in that we choose to follow God, even if it's a more difficult path. It would have been a lot easier for him to kindly divorce her quietly. This was a difficult path. And this was definitely, well, I mean, who's going who's gonna to believe their story? What will people think of them? How did, this, how did this ruin their reputation? And yet, the higher priority was faith. Obeying God no matter what. Joseph's plan... Well, it wasn't sinful, sinful, it wasn't wrong. But when God tells you what you should do, you should follow him. God spoke to Joseph. And and let's consider each of the parts of his message. First, he addresses him as Joseph, son of David. Even though there's a virgin conception, even though the Holy Spirit is the one who, who brings about the origin of Jesus Joseph has a role to play. He is in the line of David. And through him, as Jesus' adoptive father, God's promise concerning Jesus is fulfilled. Joseph, son of David. He then says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Joseph, there's good news. Your grief and sadness in thinking you must divorce the woman that you love It's not necessary. Your good desire to have a godly marriage is possible. So don't be afraid. Things are not as they seem. 
She really is the pure and godly woman that you hoped she was. Mary needs to be your wife. You need to be her husband. And to fulfill God's promise, you must adopt Jesus into the line of David. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. God's plan is for Jesus to be both the son of God and the son of David. Then we read, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the virgin birth, what we really mean is the virgin conception. This is the emphasis of God's word, the miraculous way in which Jesus was conceived in the virgin womb of Mary. And as far as we know, the birth was normal, but the conception was miraculous. This is the point. And she will bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It's a boy. People creatively think of ways to reveal whether their child is a boy or a girl, and Joseph got the the ultimate reveal. (laughs) He learned not only it's a boy, but here's his name. His name is Jesus. Joseph, it's a boy. His name is Jesus. Jesus means the Lord saves. More specifically, he will save his people from their sins. And people look to Jesus for a lot of things. Giving food to the hungry, healing the sick, comforting the brokenhearted. And certainly in that day, they expected Jesus to overthrow Rome's oppression. But what we need is not a deliverance from our our physical enemies, but to be delivered from our sins. And not only is this a matter of our eternal destiny, but sin is also at the root of all of our suffering. All of your sufferings have to do with sin. And I don't mean that you're you're being directly punished for your sin. Sometimes that is the case. But, but what I mean is that sin in general is the curse that, that affects all of us. Because of the curse, people are born with disabilities. It wasn't because of his sin or his parents' sin that the man was born blind. But it wouldn't have happened if there weren't sin. And the suffering that occurs, well, it should cause us to hate sin. It should cause us to not want to contribute to the ripple effect of sin. And follow instead the one who saves us from it. And Jesus came to save us, not only from the the punishment for the sins we committed, but his work will also one day save us from all of the sufferings that sin bring into our lives. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. More than 700 years prior to this, God spoke through his prophet Isaiah concerning this day, ultimately fulfilled in this prophecy in Jesus. Jesus, 
who was uniquely conceived from the Holy Spirit in the virgin womb of Mary, Jesus, who is Emmanuel, who is God with us. This was a new beginning, a different way for God to be present with us. Different because, well, God always was present with us. God is omnipresent. He's always been everywhere. Psalm 139 tells us this truth, saying, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God being with us, well, it's a given. The real question is whether his presence is a blessing or a curse. Is he with you to save you from your sins? Or is he with you as your ultimate judge? There's no place, including hell, where God's not present. In hell, there's no presence of his goodness and blessing, only his wrath. But he's present. There's no place where God is not present. So is his presence a good thing? Is it a blessing? That's the question. The ultimate revelation of God's presence is in Jesus. Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And what we do with Jesus determines whether God's presence is a blessing or a curse. God gave this sign, this truth to Joseph in a dream. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. Joseph obeyed. He, he named Mary's son the Lord saves. He knew this baby was Emmanuel, God with us. He, he evidently believed this little boy was no ordinary boy boy, and that he came to save his people, including his mommy and daddy, from their sins. And this is our hope as well, isn't it? This is our hope as well. The origin story of Jesus tells us that God is with us. He was with us in the person of Jesus in his first advent, his first coming, to save his people from their sins. Emmanuel was with us in the person of Jesus, and he is with us now through the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is our hope. This is, this is the blessing of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your perfect plan. That the virgin would conceive and bear a son. A son who is both truly God and truly man. Mary's boy from the Holy Spirit and in the line of David. Jesus, the, the true king 
A man with your own heart. A heart that determined to to love us before the foundation of the world. To predestine us for adoption. Thank you, God. Thank you that you are with us in Jesus. You are with us by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You are with us to save and bless. And our, our only hope, our certain hope, is in you. So, Lord, please grant us a, a right sense of awe in what you've done in taking on human flesh, in knowing us, our, our weakness, and living a human life that has brought about our eternal life, living a human life that has been a blessing to us. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.